Zechariah chapter 14. We're in the final chapter. And some of God's people said, Amen. All right. And uh, we're in the last, last part of this chapter uh, that we're going to look at tonight. This is, uh, this is a little bit longer chapter, so it's taking a little bit more time to get through it. But uh, that is fine. Wow, what a, what a pile of information. A lot to, uh, lot to draw from, a lot to uh, draw out, a lot to bring out, a lot to unpack from this, uh, uh, from this chapter. It perhaps, to me, I think I said this a time or two ago when we are looking at it, is the most exciting chapter in the Minor Prophets by far. Most exciting in Zechariah. Zechariah has been doing this. He's been, he's been hitting on some different things, different errors of time. And in doing so, some of it was a, a, a little bit sooner than our future because uh, some of those things have taken place and, and all of that. We've known historically and seen some of the things that have happened in and around the city of Jerusalem. But chapter 14, 12, 13, and 14 is that culmination of all of Israel's history is coming to a close. Here in chapter 14, we find some of the most exciting things happen that is described, that is nowhere else described in Scripture. And we looked at some of those last week, you know, when Jesus puts his feet on the top of the Mount of Olives and, and it splits. Okay, and it creates a, creates a valley on that eastern side of Jerusalem and a way of escape for those who, are, who remain. Because, uh, reason for that, God has already gathered all the nations together. Remember this, God is the one that gathers them together. And don't forget this as well. Who is it that guides the heart and the decision of the kings that be in the world? It's God. Good or bad. Okay, righteous or unrighteous, holy or not, okay, God guides them all like he does the rivers, okay. So we, we, we must not forget that. And so there's coming a point in time in which all the nations of the earth are going to be gathered together in one centralized location there in the Middle East. We've talked a little bit about that. We've seen here at the beginning of the chapter that there is the... The, the final battle of Jerusalem. The, there's a siege coming against Jerusalem and against that part of the world. God having gathered them in. But then we also know this. And here's where Zechariah does things differently. He'll go to something that is really horrible. And then he goes to something that's really great. All right. So he, he's like the horrifying part is that there's a, a group of people from around the world. I'm, a, I'm talking you know, Russia. I'm talking Europe. I'm talking uh, the east like Iran, Iraq, and, and uh, India, and China, and all them. To the south, there's Egypt and, and the other major uh, players that would be further to the south. Uh, all of them are coming together. Okay, God's drawn them together, but here's the problem. Even though they, a problem for them, all right, not a problem for God, but here's the, here's the situation. He's bringing them all together only to beat them up, going to defeat them. The Messiah is going to rule. The Messiah is going to reign. There is going to be victory. It is the final defeat of all the nations of the world. It's at this time. Oh, this is so exciting, so very exciting. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. 
And we left off with verse number 11. And remember, I'll, I'll read like verse 9 and, and follow. We'll read the rest of the chapter. But I want you to note carefully how many times that Zechariah mentions in that day. Okay, So we know that it is a day in the future. It's a day in his future, but it's also a day in our future. Then also, I want you to realize, recognize how many times that Zechariah mentions the fact that the Lord is going to reign. All right, he, He's going to reign. He mentions that. Zechariah has been given such great insight like none other, like nobody else. Now, we, we know Ezekiel 38 39. That's, that's pretty impressive what God gave to, to Ezekiel. And, and some other places. Daniel was like phenomenal, all right? But, uh, you know, John probably exceeds them all. But when we're talking about the minor prophets, nobody like Zechariah, all right? So let's look at it here. Let's start reading. I want to start reading with verse number um, verse number 9. I know we dealt with this last week, but I want to I start here just because of the content of verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Isn't that an awesome verse? All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Ramon, uh, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up. And inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate and the place of the first gate under the corner gate from the tower of Hanel under the king's wine presses. Now, again, I want to mention this. Zechariah gives a very specific geographical location. So he's talking about these areas that are bordering or unto. This is, this is the part that, that it's all going to be turned into a plain. Now, I've been there in that part of the world before. And it's by far flat. It is not flat, okay, in this area around Jerusalem. It's hilly. And, but, but what is going to happen, what we've seen earlier from verse 4, when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, boom, it's, I mean, it's going to be flat. The mountain's going to be flat. It sits high above the Garden of Gethsemane, high above Jerusalem. You can look down on the city of Jerusalem on that southeastern corner. It's an amazing sight to be there on that side. That it's the highest point, the center point, that Mount of Olives from a mile-long stretch of mountains on that, that particular area. And the Kidron Valley goes right below it, the, the, the mountain and the city of Jerusalem. It's amazing. But all that's going to be flat. It's going to become a plain. And this is how far the geographical location from those borders, from, from Benjamin's Gate to, to, to Geba, or modern-day Jeba, J-E-B-A. That's the modern-day city. All of this is going to be a plain for one reason. And that's for the children of Israel, those that were inhabiting inside the city of Jerusalem, for them to be able to escape because God's brought all these nations there, but he's going to kill them all. All right, so they escape. Watch this now, verse 11. I love this verse too. And men shall dwell in it. There shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. We, that is the day that we're all longing for. That's the day that the people, uh, the, the, the Jewish people, the people, inhabitants of Jerusalem now, they're longing for that now. They're longing for that day of peace. Now watch this, verse 12. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop making comments as we read through the rest, part of the rest of the chapter. Watch now. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. 
And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor. And his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together. Gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, of the ass, and of the, all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. And watch these last two verses. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see that therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Wow. There's some amazing things. I'm hoping tonight that I can get through the remaining part of the chapter. Uh, to, uh, but we'll, we'll see, all right? So let, let's back up tonight. Here's what we'll look at. We, we got actually two parts, two sections. That's why I said I'm not real sure if I can get through it all, but I'm going to try, all right? So the first part we're going to look at is a time of unrest. And then the second part is the glory of peace that comes. So this is actually what we have seen throughout this chapter, isn't it? We have a time of unrest whenever, whenever uh, God calls in the nations to come to Jerusalem and they attempt to siege it, okay? That's the unrest. But then we see the victory of the Lord, the victory as he comes to battle and uh, he's going to reign and he's going to rule and he's going to bring that peace. And then, then there's unrest again, which we're going to look at, okay? A time of unrest. And then there's peace again. So the chapter kind of flip-flops back and forth with those things. Zechariah is an amazing writer in the fact that he is trying to sort this out. He's not quite seeing everything that we know. He's not seeing the day in which we're living in, but yet he sees in the future some, some amazing events. All right. So let's look at these things tonight. We're, we're looking at another period of time which is horrifying in and of itself, horrifying for the inhabitants of the earth uh, here and especially around that area of Jerusalem. So they're going to experience this great, great, great unrest. The city of Jerusalem, as we've seen it already, we know that the king of kings is going to come. He's going to be worshipped. The city will be repopulated. I mean, it's just back and forth uh, but with this turmoil, with the unrest, and then the peace and so on. All right, everybody got that part? So let, let, let's go ahead and look, look at this. Verse number 12, if you would with me, 12 through 15, there's devastating trouble that's coming. Now, 
while the first part of the chapter again deals with that siege of Jerusalem, the fact that God's bringing all those nations into this location, a lot of the details are missing. So here is where Zechariah gives those details. Look at verse 12, if you would. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people um, that have fought against Jerusalem. The fight against Jerusalem is the same fight in the first part of the chapter. But watch what God does. This is, I think, is interesting, okay? Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. What in the world does that mean? The word consume here, it means they're waste away or rot away. It means to actually to decompose. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I was, when I was looking at this and studying this, I thought, wow, there's a time in which the people that are inhabiting the earth at this particular moment, as God has called these nations in, that they're going to be standing on their feet and their, their bodies are going to start, their flesh is going to start to decompose. It, look what else he says. Look what else. It's not just the flesh. Watch what he says. He says, their eyes shall consume away. Their eyes shall rot, waste away, or decompose in their holes. Can you imagine what is going on here? Hmm. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Their tongue shall also decompose, rot away. Something is going on here. Now, mind you, um, Zechariah probably doesn't have the scientific background or knowledge like we have been fortunate enough to have in these days. What possibly could this be? Is it something beyond our capability? Is this something that God is going to do or mastermind behind this, behind and, and bring this to the forefront? I believe wholeheartedly that yes, God is the mastermind behind this great punishment and unrest. And remind, let me remind you that it is those against whom they have, they, they have battled against Jerusalem. They have battled against the people of God. And God says you're going to be standing on your feet and your body is going to start to decompose. Your eyes are going to decompose. Your tongue is going to decompose. You're going to waste away, going to rot. What's that? Somebody tell me, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Nuclear. Nuclear. Let me, let me turn real quickly to the book of the Revelation, chapter 16. The fourth angel, chapter 16, verse number 8, says this, The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. The power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. The idea there, and, and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, uh, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. That's Revelation 16, 8. Is there a connection? There definitely is a possible connection with that. The Lord can certainly use the sun that we know, that we see every day, that we say rises and all that stuff. We know the sun stays sealed and, and the earth is the one that rotates. And all that, we get that. We understand the science behind that, uh, by the way. And, and, and so God could 
could possibly use the sun or it could be something massive as nuclear warhead that explodes in that area. God could even cause that. Remember, it is God that causes the, the, the kings. to He's the one that turns their heart. It's the kings that, that supposedly have the, the key or the code to make it happen. You know, to shoot all of those nuclear warheads. And many of them right now, Iran, Iraq, right now, they've been working on it for years. And they're all aimed at one location. Are y'all with me on this? Now, is, is that far-fetched? No, it's actually a, a, a reality. I mean, we hear about it quite often. We hear, we hear a lot about those things, you know, the, and, and, and we see some that test their rockets, you know, the, uh, the, the little guy over there in North Korea, he tests his rockets all the time. We, we, I know, y'all find that, some of y'all found that funny. He's not that little, y'all know. I think somebody called him Little Rocket Man or something like that. Anyway, um, Yeah. Um, anyway, he keeps fire. He keeps firing stuff, testing stuff. Now, I, I, I could I, let's let's be on the safe side. Whatever it is, if it's nuclear, I see no problem with it being nuclear with the description that Zechariah he didn't know how to describe it Zechariah had never seen he's not a scientist he's a prophet of God but the Lord said I need you to write these words down this is what's going to happen and so he did everybody with me this plague that is coming and we all know that from from past history that when something nuclear takes place, it takes years and years and years. It is like a plague. Uh, for example, Chernobyl in, uh, in Japan back in World War II. Those, those events that took place back in those days, it was devastating. It was like a plague that took place in those parts of the world. All right, does everybody, everybody understand? Whatever it is, God could cause the sun to do it. It could be something nuclear. Either, irregardless of which one it is, we know what the Bible says, that people are going to be standing and their bodies going to be melting, decomposing. It's an amazing thing. Horrifying thing. Do you see the unrest? This is a time of unrest. Look at this in verse 13. It should come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord. What does that mean? There's confusion. The word tumult in Scripture there means confusion or it means disturbance. If the melting of their physical body doesn't get them, this has to do with, with a mental breakdown. So God's going to cause confusion and disturbance in such a way. What, here, this is what's going to happen. He says, it should come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord, great confusion from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. There's going to be such a mental breakdown of everything that's happening over in that part of the world that neighbor is going to rise against neighbor, soldier against soldier, of their own, of their own people, of their own families I'll be honest with you I've never seen in my lifetime such mental breakdown where families against families I mean y'all hear about it on the news right where family members mental breakdown and they 
They, they slay their own family. It's hard to imagine how a mother could slay her own children. I just recently seen something about that. It's horrifying. It's a time of unrest. But he said this is what's happening. So, so we not only have the physical part where they're, they're decomposing, but we also have the mental part. Look at for, 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 verse 14. And, and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of the heathen, all, of all the heathen, round about shall be gathered together, gold, silver, apparel, in great abundance. Go, let me go ahead and read 15, 15. And so shall be the plague of the horse, the mule, the camel, the ass, and all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. The fighting is going to be so strong. Now, now in, in that, that, that culture, that part of the world, the oriental culture, one of the things that they would do, obviously the gold and the silver. You're going to go in, you're going to ransack everything, and the spoils that you take, you're going to take the gold and the silver. But another thing they would take is the apparel, the clothing. Why? They, why that? It was, a, it was a mark of wealth or a mark of, of strategy of those that took the, the, the garments of the other person uh, to, uh, to make the, the other surrounding areas think twice before interfering. It, it, was, it was a mark against them. And so they would take the gold, the silver, and all the apparel. So it would, it would, they would accumulate the wealth of all those things because it was a, a sign of great wealth the more apparel, the more clothing that you had. But then it doesn't affect just the, the people standing and they're decomposing, the mental breakdown, the, those in war, the, the spoils that they will take. But it, it, it involves the animal kingdom. Do you see the horses, the camels, the asses, everything? It was taken to, a toll on them as well. Everything is going to be affected by the time of unrest. It's a devastating trouble. God's bringing it. God's bringing it. Why is God bringing it? Because he's holy. This world has been unjust for so long, too long. There's been such unrighteousness and, and unholiness that exists in our worlds for so long. And God said, enough's enough. This is the time. Now, mind you, God is very patient and kind to us, isn't he? And I'm so thankful God's patient with somebody like me. I thank him for that. Everything. Lord, thank you for being patient with me. I certainly don't deserve that, but he is. And he's very kind and very patient with us. But there is coming a point in time as he gathers this together that these things are going to happen. These are a reality. Can I just remind everybody as well, this is not a fictitious book. We take this literally. God is literally going to gather the nations. God is literally going to decompose people while they're standing. God is literally going to affect the, the mental breakdown of people. God is literally going to affect the animal kingdom, as he said here. All the, this is a plague. This is a very serious time of trouble, devastating trouble. Look at this, if you would, with me in verse number 16. Verse 16, just have it by itself. There's a devotion to, in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Look at verse 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, capital K, and the Lord, capital L, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. What's going on here? Well, there will be some people left. The ones that are not consumed, the ones that are not decomposed, all right? The ones that don't have a mental breakdown, there's going to be some left. And, and, and mind you, they, they said here there's, they're left that came against Jerusalem. 
These are the ones that came against Jerusalem. But they're seeing all this that has happened. They, they have noticed the devastating trouble that is going on. They said, you know what? There might be something about this guy named Jehovah. There might be something about this Lord of hosts. And as he sets up his kingdom, the Bible tells us here that they're going to come to the city of Jerusalem and they're going to enjoy and join in on the Feast of Tabernacles. What was the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles was a a feast that was set at the end of the harvest. It was a time of rest. as, As the time of harvest came, it was a time in which they had finished the the work. The conflict is over. The celebration begins. A a time of joy, a time of praise, a time of thanksgiving. That's what the Feast of the Tabernacles was all about. And now those Gentiles that remain, the ones that left that had come against Jerusalem, they're going to see it and they're going to come and join in in that Feast of Tabernacles at this time. There, There would not be... Think about this though. Of all the nations around the world, there would not be enough room for all of them to come. So many think, and I'm inclined to believe this, I haven't been persuaded one way or the other you know, in 100% capacity, but it makes sense. You know, of all the people, I mean, we've got how many billion now on earth? How many? Eight? Eight? Head toward nine? All right, it's a lot of people. But then again, a lot of people is going to die during that period. I mean, you know, a lot of people. You take, you take 9 billion people, if it gets to that point, and a third of them are wiped out just in no time. And then you have a lot more wiped out here by this decomp- the, uh, decomposition. I mean, a lot of people is going to die. Let's just say we got a billion people left on the earth. Well, that's a lot. I mean, I know a lot that would die, but you think about those that, those that will be raptured out, and then you think about those that remain here, and then the Jewish people that remain here, and then those that die through all the things and all the events that God has told us about, even in the book of the Revelation. And, and we ha- let's say we have a billion people left. Where is a billion people going to fit around this Feast of the Tabernacles? Okay, it's going to be a little bit, you know, crowded. All right. So the idea is that there is a representation of people and people groups or nations around the world that will come and worship the king. And they could come at different times throughout the year, but everybody would come and worship or have their time of the Feast of Tabernacles, a time of joy, a time of thanksgiving, a time of praise. Now listen, listen. It makes sense that that would happen because there's going to be no more war. This is it. This is done. When, when, when God draws the nations in and he satisfies uh, and, and kills and, and uh, consumes them and, and they decompose, all of that happens, this is it. So there's not going to be any more. There's going to be no more siege of Jerusalem. Nobody else is going to be coming after the nation of Israel. We know that from the end of the chapter, all right? So it makes sense that they would do that. So anyway, verse 16 is that, is that uh, devotion in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Let me, bring, let me show you this now. Verse 17, 18, and 19. There's, there's the disobedience that brings a plague. So here we are. We flip back again. 
All right. So we see that time of unrest at the beginning with the devastating trouble. We see that devote, there's glory and peace because there's a devotion at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now we're going back again to a plague that takes place because of some that are disobedient. Look at this. Now, verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. That's a plague, right? When there's no rain, that's a plague. God's going to send drought. He says this in verse 18. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, they, that, that have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So you've got some. They're disobedient. The Lord said, all right, we're going to have this Feast of Tabernacles. There's a time of, of, of rest now because of the unrest. There's a time of joy now. There's a time of praise. There's a time of thanksgiving. And you need to come up here and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but if you don't, I'm not going to send you any rain. Now, he mentions Egypt specifically here. Egypt is to the south of Jerusalem. Now, Egypt, uh, they don't get a whole lot of rain in that part of the world either, but they rely upon the rain of the north around the, the Nile and the overflowing of the Nile River to sustain them in that part of the world. So, so they're relying upon that rain up at the north, northern section, north, above the um, uh, uh, Israel. So if there's no rain up there, and the river, uh, the Nile River doesn't overflow, then Egypt doesn't have any either. See, here's the thing. God wants everybody on the earth to enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. The joy, the rest, the peace, the thanksgiving. But if they don't do it, I'm sending another plague. It's just that simple. Some, I believe, will have a sense of false dedication. And false worship. They will attempt to do. And listen, that's happened in every era of time. There are a lot of people that just play. They play church. They play God. Their heart's a million miles away from the truth. A million miles away from holiness. They're coming just to what? Appease whom? Appease themselves. Appease their conscience. Well, I've gone to church. God must be happy with me. No. God's not happy with that kind of attitude. In fact, that's a sorry attitude. It's a wrong attitude. Our heart should be committed completely to the Lord in worship. And that's what he is after here for these people. In, in, in that day, no one will be able to defy the punishment of the Lord. Zero. Look at this in verse number 19. And this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So if, no, if you don't come, if you don't come, there's punishment. All right. So now, one more time, let's flip the other way. All right. So we've gone to the time of unrest to the glory. All right. The glory of peace. Then we've gone back to the time of unrest here in this disobedient plague that comes because they, they, haven't, they have not uh, worshipped the Lord. They haven't come to the Feast of Tabernacles. We've got two more verses in the chapter in the book. Bear with me because this is the ultimate glory and peace that God is going to bring. Watch this now, verse 20. 
Here it is. It's the last thing now. The dawn of holiness presented here. Okay, This is the last thing. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses. I love this. Holiness unto the Lord. Is it all caps in your Bible? Yeah. There's a reason for that. Then he says this. This is interesting. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. What in the world does he mean by pots? Why are we, why are we, drawing, why are we talking about pots? I'll explain it in just a second. Verse 21. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day, there it is again. There shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. What's going on here? All those who have placed their trust in the Lord will recognize the goal of God. And here's his goal. Holiness. That's all God's ever wanted. Holiness. You think about it. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did God want? Holiness. He wanted them to act responsibly and live holy. He wanted them to be obedient. When we are an obedient people, we are essentially a holy people. It, was it not God who said, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy? He, he said that in Leviticus chapter number 20. That was when God gave Moses the law. Peter repeated it in 116, 1 Peter 116, he repeated it. He said, as it is written, be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. All God wants, out of, even out of us, is to just be holy. What, what is holy? Just do the right thing. Keep our mind, our heart, everything about us focused on Him. It is not about us. We, we, have, we have too much selfishness going on. we got too much pride going on in the world as it is. It is not about you. Sorry to bust your bubble, but that's just the bottom line. It is about God. Our whole life, our, whole, our church, our families, everything about us should be holy unto the Lord. That's all God wants. Anything less than that is disobedient idolatry. It's just that simple. God's ideal situation for the entire world has always been holiness. Now, remember this when we studied the tabernacle. The high priest, in his garments that he wore, he had a mitre up on his head. And on that mitre he had on his head, there was a, 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 a plate. And on that plate, on that mitre, it said what? Holiness to the Lord. And so that high priest wore that. Where did he take that? Where did he wear that? He went into the holy place to do his ministry. And he went into the holy of holies. Into the presence of God. And it said holiness to the Lord. That priest could not enter into the presence of God unclean. If he did, he would die. And so what God wants when we come to Him is to be holy and to be clean. That's all He wants. That's all He's ever wanted. Now, you think about this. Look back historically at the nation of Israel. When Israel went to the land of promise, what did He tell them to do with, with, with anybody that was there? What did He tell them? Kill them all. 
kill them all. Now, to many that sounds cruel and heartless. But because Israel did not kill them all and was disobedient to the Lord, they have had trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. Think about it. You know, the kingdom would never have been divided if they had taken and killed all the Canaanites. Yeah. There would, ne- there would not have been, and I know there's some great stories, you know, about uh, the defeat of the enemy, the defeat of the false prophets. I, I love Elijah, you know, and the defeat of the false prophets on top of Mount Carmel. All right, 450 of them, they're crying out, you know, the fire God, come send some fire. And, and they couldn't, they couldn't get a spark out of the guy. Why? Because he couldn't do nothing. Isn't that amazing? They're calling under the fire God and he can't, he can't answer them. But Elijah drowns the altar. The moat around this field, the trench around is filled with water. And man, I love it. I counted them. 63 words he prayed. God said, gone. Licked up the water, the ashes, nothing left. That's awesome. That's the kind of God we serve. You know, see, you see, in those 450 prophets of Baal, what do we do with them? Cut their throats. Kill them all. That sounds heartless and cruel. God had given them plenty of time to turn to him. They didn't do it. God's just. He's not heartless. He's just. He's holy. So if they had taken and gotten rid of the Canaanites to begin with, they wouldn't have had to suffer all the turmoil that they had suffered for all those years, hundreds of years that they suffered as a result of that. I forgot to tell you about something. The bells the horses were wearing said holiness to the Lord. I talked about the mitre that the high priest wore. What is it about the horses and the bells? And I hadn't told you about the pots either. Y'all want to hear about the pots? Okay, all right, I need to tell you about the pots. This, first of all, the horses. The horses were used to warfare. The, the, the garb that they had on the horses, the protective gear that they had on the horses, they were all used to having those things on for, for what the, like the mail to protect the, the, the animals, to protect the horses. They don't wear that anymore because now they're wearing bells that say holiness to the Lord. Why? Now they're, they're on display. What's on display is holiness to the Lord. Why? Because God has gotten rid of all of the unholiness. And so there's no more war. This is, a, this is signif- uh, significant here in the fact that God is saying there's no more war. So the horses don't wear the mail to protect them. They wear bells to promote the holiness to the Lord. You with me? All right, so what about the pots? Pots. Interesting. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. The pots were the most insignificant um, portion or piece of furniture or, or, or uh, um, what am I, utensil in the house. The pots. The pots were used in the service of the tabernacle. They were the basis of objects used in that service. It, it was the 
those pots that uh, in, in that day that that uh, they would use to the, the bowls uh, would catch the blood for the sacrifice. Don't miss this now. So you have the basis of objects uh, in the service of the Lord, and you have the bowls in the the. Uh, tabernacle where the priest would go and cut the throat of the lamb and drain it in that basin, that bowl. And then he would take and he would sprinkle it everywhere. I mean, think about it. Blood in a bowl. I mean, anybody really want that? But you use the, you use the, the least significant part. That's the, that's the bowl. That's, the, that's what they would use. Well, here he's saying, watch this now. He said, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be what? Holiness unto the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? Those, blood, those bowls that would catch that. Now they were considered to be of great service before the Lord. And a, a greater value of one over the other. Now, listen, listen. There's no more use for the bowl for a sacrifice because it's all been done. The basis of objects would be like the gold tongs. The basis of objects would be like the horns of the altar. The basis of objects, all of that now is is uh, uh, completed because the job has been done. No more cross. Jesus does not have to die anymore. It's done. When he cried, it is finished, he meant it's finished. No more sacrifice is needed. Now, no more Canaanite in the land. They represented the unholy. They represented the ungodly of the land. They were considered to be the, the, the area just north of Israel, the Phoenicians. They were great mariners and, and great merchants and all that of the ancient world. But they were very, uh, uh, they were very stooped in idolatry. And God says, now there's no more. He says, in that day. Did y'all see how many times Zechariah said, in that day? So it's a future date. It's coming in that day. With the rise of the Messiah, with him bringing holiness into the world, the evil and the idolatry that accompany the Canaanite and anybody else that would bring that in is now done and over. It has come to an end. And that, my friend, is what we're looking for. A day when everything on this earth, a new heaven, a new earth, will be completely holy. Because it's what God intended for it to be. And that is Zechariah. We finished it. All right. How about that? I know a lot of people are saying, praise the Lord. We got one book left, all right, of the Minor Prophets, and that is Malachi. We've got three, four chapters of it, and uh, we'll, we'll start that next time, Lord willing. But, hey, I'm telling you. I don't know about you, but I've, been, I've not been more excited about giving you a lesson on Zechariah than chapter 14 of all the things that are therein. Anyway, 
I hope that Zechariah was of interest to you and that you learned something of value from, uh, from this portion of God's Word. All right? Let's, let's bow for prayer. Father, we th- do thank you. And Lord, we love you and we're appreciative of your blessings, Lord. And oh, thank you for being good to us and patient with us and kind. Thank you, Lord, for the study of Zechariah, for the insight that you've given, the help that you've uh, attended to us. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that it will be profitable uh, and uh, encouraging to our hearts uh, as we look to that day that's coming very, very soon. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the attention everyone's given tonight. And pray you're raised of blessings on each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.